Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang. This is New Southern Garden. This is not Georgia football. <laughs> I know they'll be playing later today. And for the past couple of weeks, they've had an early game. So you know the drill. If you've been listening to this program this time of year when we get to our football season, which, of course, go dogs. They're good at football, but they're also great with horticulture. <laughs> UGA has a great horticulture program. Uh, so we're glad to be back in the new Southern Garden with you, talking about all things gardening, because this time of year is a great time of year for planting. And I know since we've been out uh, for a couple of weeks, we've got your questions coming. Your September questions, we're going to make today our Q&A week. We like to do Q&As once a month and sometimes scattered throughout the month. But as much fun as, as I, I have uh, inspiring you and bringing you plants and new ideas, uh, uh, just all kinds of things, I also like to help you specifically. So if you have a question, like I said, if you have, a, if you have something burning through your begonias or trickling through your tomatoes, which it's kind of late for that, but... Anyhow, if you've got some kind of problem in your landscape, we would love to hear about it. And of course, you can send us your questions on our website, NewSouthernGarden.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. You can send us videos and pictures on Facebook, tag us in it, and we'll be glad to take a look at them and, and uh, help you out on our next Q&A. Um, but regardless, there's always something that's going on in the landscape. There's always something. And sometimes there are problems, yes. And sometimes there are good successes. We'd love to hear about your successes. So feel free to uh, send us a message about the good times. Not just the bad times. But when the bad times come, we'll, we'll be glad to hold your hand and walk you through your garden problem by problem. So thank you for all those who have sent us your question over this month. It's good to hear from you. And of course, you know, trying to create a community of great gardeners. It's a wonderful thing. I think that we can make gardening great again because it seems like um, for several decades we've, we've not enjoyed being outdoors. But after COVID locked everything down... People were stuck at home. We found sort of a revival, a resurgence of people going into the landscape. So we know that uh, some of the newcomers, if you will, not the uh, not necessarily the uh, the old gardeners who have been doing this for many years, many decades, an entire lifetime, but some of the young folks too are getting into gardening, getting their hands dirty. They need a little help, a little guidance. So we do appreciate you reaching out to us uh, with your questions. Um, so, I, like I said, I have definitely missed being with you for the past couple of weeks. Of course, uh, 
football is, is this season. It's this season, so it happens. <laughs> but I'm glad to be with you again uh, this week. And a lot has been going on, I guess, since, um, since I've talked with you last. Of course, um, let's see, Eden Rose. Of course, we've got our, uh, our Eden Rose button here. Give it a go. Give it a go. She is now three years old. She turned three this past month, and her little brother, Ezra, is going to be turning one. He hits that first milestone, right? My dad, hopefully he won't mind me saying, but he turned 60 this year. That's a milestone. But you know, that first year of life is truly a milestone. Because the one thing that I've definitely experienced as I've been uh, growing children is it's a lot like growing plants. Growing children is a lot like growing plants. They have certain needs, of course, plants and children, all humans. We're uh, living organisms. We have needs. Uh, We've got to make sure we have enough nutrition so we eat well, feed our kids a lot of fresh, healthy vegetables and uh, fruits. Then, of course, you've got to do a little cleanup. You know, you've got to clean up your plants, snip off dead branches. Well, I'll tell you something. I have learned that uh, babies need cleanup several times a day, (laughs) several times a day. So growing people is like growing plants, and hopefully we can uh, encourage the people we grow to grow plants. So I hope that you are working with children, whether they're your own grandchildren, uh, maybe they're neighborhood kids, maybe family friends, children, but let's be impressing upon our future generations and instill in them, give them the knowledge they need to grow their own foods to grow their own flowers, because just like fruits and vegetables feed our body, flowers help to feed our soul. Speaking of flowers, there's a flowering plant that before I get to your questions, I want to uh, bring to your attention. Uh, Let's see, a couple of weeks ago, my uh, cousin sent me this YouTube video, and he said, check this out, this is awesome. So I watched it. It was a BBC clip uh, from Great Britain, of course, the uh, British Broadcasting Service there. And uh, there was a program, a little special, on the Judean date palm. The Judean date palm. Now, dates are essentially the fruits of a palm tree. I'm not a big fan of the date. I did buy a, a big pack of dates one time thinking I would just love them. Because I, I like prunes and things like that. They, they, they got a, a unique flavor. I just don't love it. So the Judean date palm uh, had been growing in Judea for many years. However, however, they did become extinct. The cultivation of the dates in that Judean region almost disappeared after the 14th century. Um, A.D. from a combination of climate change and infrastructure decay. But here is the great thing. Even though for 2,000 years, 2,000 years, this date palm, which was uh, a, a, a symbolic um, plant of the region, it had a reputation amongst the Judeans. Even though it went extinct, here recently, the date palm has been rediscovered Let me tell you a little bit about where they found it. So, for all these many years, people think the date palm is gone. This Judean date palm is gone. And in 1963 to 65, there were some excavations of um, Herod the Great's palace in Madassa. Um, 
Israel, and they found a cache of date palm seeds that were preserved in an ancient jar. Right? So they walk in to this palace and they find in this preservation jar some Judean date palms or seeds. Now, those palm seeds had been in a very dry and sheltered environment for about 2,000 years by the time they found, pulled them out. They uh, uh, dated them with radiocarbon at the University of Zurich and they say those seeds could have been around at 155 B.C. to 64 A.D., about 2,000 years ago. Then, in the 60s, they were held in storage at a university in um, Israel. So, a lady named Dr. Sarah Salone, she wanted to come up with an initiative. She wanted to start an initiative to germinate these very old ancient seeds. And I'm sure it took a lot of persuasion, but she was able to persuade um, the University of Jerusalem, Hebrew University of Jerusalem, to share some with her. She also uh, partnered with a friend, Dr. Elaine Soloway, from the Center for Sustainable Agriculture at the Arava Institute for Environmental Studies. And she asked her friend to help her to sprout several of these seeds in 2005. So we're already going on about 15, 17 years from when this project started. Now, in her video, she does say, I knew that we had to hydrate these seeds slowly. We can't do too many dramatic changes. These things are ancient. So they slowly hydrated these in a very, very uh, complicated device. Not really. It was a baby bottle warmer, just a common baby bottle warmer. They began to uh, treat them in a solution to, to, to hydrate them slowly, warm them up. And you know, just like when you plant any seed, when the seed starts imbibing water, pulling water into it, it starts that process of germination. So then very quickly, of course, uh, they use just ordinary solutions, the fertilizer, growth hormones. And three seeds were planted in Israel, uh, in the southern part of Israel. And the, the first one to grow, they named Methuselah. They named the plant Methuselah. Because it actually took root. And so the idea, of course, the longest lived person in the Bible named Methuselah, they appropriately named this 2,000-year-old seed that actually germinated. Now, 2011, let's jump forward several years because, of course, that plant had to grow, continue to grow. And Methuselah first flowered in 2011. And it turns out that Methuselah is a male. So he provides the male part of the flower. Now, uh, by, say, uh, well, a few, few, uh, few, few years before, 2008, um, the plant had a nearly a dozen fronds, and it was about four foot seven inches tall. Of course, uh, it, it flowered a few years after that. And by 2015, it was producing pollen. Now, a little closer to date, 2020, the uh, Methuselah date palm is 11 feet tall. So what they started to do as of 2012, they started 
to have plans to crossbreed the male, uh, which is considered the closest extinct relative to another palm or another date palm from Egypt. And so they started to generate fruit. And then two female Judean palms have been sprouted since. So, by 2015, Methuselah had produced the pollen, and it's been used successfully to cross-pollinate these female date palms. As of 2019, 32 Judean date palm seeds have been grown from locations in the Dead Sea area, and six saplings, which they all have names, names like Adam, Jonah, Boaz, Judith, and Hannah, they've survived. So, by 2020, pushing a little further, closer to us uh, today, Adam grew to be... uh, Three yards and some tall. Adam and Jonah, they've produced flowers. Uh, Because several of these seedlings are female, it's hoped that it will be possible to pollinate one or more of the female Judean date palms with the pollen from the original, from Methuselah. So there's still work that is being done in this crossing and, and breeding to produce a plant that was essentially extinct. It was gone There was no grove they could find. There was no uh, single plants they have found over in Israel for this Judean date palm. But because 2,000 years ago, there was a maybe forward-thinking person, or, or, or maybe they just happened to be preserving these seeds in a preservation jar. It's been locked away in this ancient palace all those that genetic information for the Judean date palm. I just found this story very interesting. The fact that, you know, think about the American chestnut. It's essentially extinct. But there is work being done to try to hybridize what uh, uh, American chestnut is left because, of course, they suffered from a terrible disease uh, that came through at the turn of the century, not this century, but the last. (laughs) And, of course, uh, that disease ravished. It just completely, essentially obliterated the American chestnut. And they're working to hybridize and cross, much like uh, the Judean date palm work in Israel, to bring back a plant that has been missing In this case, for 2,000 years, it's only been about 100, maybe 125 years that our um, American chestnut has been missing. But it's just amazing to see the resilience of life, the resilience of nature, that a seed could be locked away in a jar for 2,000 years. And in a short period of time, we're seeing a plant that has not been seen by anybody on this earth grow once again. It's amazing. Well, when we get back from this break, gang, we're going to get to your questions. Jump in the mailbag with Q&A. Hey, gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
Well, gang, personally, I'm a little gl- I'm a little happy that we can take a break this morning from Georgia football. We do want to support our dogs, of course. I, mean, I graduated from the university. I, I'm not a big fan of football, but I do hope they do well. But we can take this break, go to the landscape, go to the garden, and get our hands dirty this morning. Well, you know, maybe not this morning, but sometime soon. But regardless, we are here today on New Southern Garden to answer your questions. This is our Q&A week. Uh, we were delayed a bit because of the games, but that's okay. You've been patiently waiting answers for your questions, and boy, we've got some great ones today. Perfect timing for many of these because uh, here it is, fall time, and there's some certain things we need to be doing now. Uh, there's certain things that are going on in the landscape that people are observing, and I'm glad you've got some questions. So let's go right up to... Uh, Well, a little south of here, of course, in Flowery Branch, Georgia, Elise. She writes in via our website, of course, that's NewSouthernGarden.com. On the contact us page, you can send a question there. But Elise in Flowery Branch says, I've heard fall is a good time to plant. Uh, Any tips for how to dig a good hole, a good planting hole? I'm glad you asked that, Elise, because yes, now is a great time to plant. As a matter of fact, I tell people, even though the calendar says that it's fall, It doesn't mean that it's fall in the landscape, not just yet. Of course, we've got the chill in the air. We're waking up to these chilly mornings, putting on a light jacket maybe, and then, of course, in the uh, heat of the day, taking that off. But regardless, look for the trees. Look at the leaves on the trees, particularly oaks and maples. Once the oaks and maples have dropped their leaves, that means pretty much everything is dormant. Everything is sleeping, uh, going into this chillier time the cold time as we approach winter of course uh, you've got plants that are evergreen they do not drop their leaves uh, at any point throughout the year older leaves may fall off them but they keep most of their leaves all winter long and then of course you got the deciduous plants like maples like oaks like hydrangeas all of these plants they have leaves in the spring summer uh, but they drop them in the fall and they are just twigs over the winter so when you start to see twigs that's a great time to start planting that's when i consider fall really starting in the landscape um so with that in mind yes elise fall i'm glad you've heard that fall is a good time because it is a great time and let me tell you why fall is such a fall and winter i should say are great times to be planting particularly trees shrubs and most perennials um because The plants are dormant. They're not actively growing. Now, what actively growing means is they are, if a plant is actively growing, it is generating new stems and new leaves. It takes a lot of water. It takes a lot of uh, fertilizer, nutrition to do that kind of work. And so right now, the plants are not doing any of that. They are starting to slow down. They are starting to go dormant. Because they're not actively growing, they don't need a lot of water. They don't need a lot of nutrition. So with that in mind, you can get the plants in the ground, and they're not stressed out. You know, if you're planting in the summer, and of course this past month has been quite dry, quite dry. So uh, plants are wilting some. If you've planted anything over September or before, you're probably finding you have to go out in the evening give them some water uh, because they still need it. They still need it uh, in the late part of summer. But as we get to fall and winter, they don't need that extra help from you. So they can sort of sit there in the ground all winter without extra attention. Uh, 
Now, another reason why fall and winter is a great time has to do with the temperature of the soil. So even though the air temperature is getting cooler, particularly overnight, the soil is going to stay very warm for quite a while. And that warm soil, by putting a, a, a new plant in the ground into this warm soil with cool atmospheric temperatures, cool air temps, that is going to stimulate the plant to continue growing roots. Roots growth can happen even though the plant itself is not producing new leaves and stems. Root growth can happen pretty much constantly throughout the year. Now, as we go into winter and the ground gets a little cooler uh, and, and just winter time is here, uh, root growth may slow down. But because our soil, particularly a well-mulched soil, after you plant, it's good to put a blanket on top of the soil for those plants. Uh, that keeps the ground even warmer. So you're getting root growth, Elise. You will get a maybe two to three times the amount of root that you had uh, in the fall planting. By springtime, you'll have two and three times the amount of root growth. So what that does is giving the plants this cool air temperature, uh, low stress situation, but warm soil, it encourages the plant to prepare a strong root system over winter. So when spring comes and when the air temperatures warm up, when maybe water is not as abundant, when things aren't as moist, soil is dry, that gives the plant a big jump start on growing again in the spring. So there are many reasons why uh, planting over the fall and winter is a wonderful time. And your next question, of course, well, really the main question is, are there any tips on how to dig up a planting hole? And there are, uh, there is a method that is tried and true for our soil types here in the Piedmont in particular. Now, this really holds true most places. Uh, but for us here in, in the South, where our soil tends to be sort of clay, can be very hard and compacted, uh, there is a, a great method. It's just a simple three-step method. The very first thing you want to do, Elise, when you start digging your planting hole is you want to accept and embrace the fact that the hole doesn't have to be very deep. It needs to be wide. So the first step is to dig a wide hole. Dig a hole that is two to three times the width of the root ball. So that means if your root ball is about 10 inches in diameter, you essentially need a planting hole that is 20 to 30 times, or sorry, 20 to 30 inches wide, two or three times uh, 10. So with that in mind, do everything you can to make a wide hole. The second thing is I mentioned it doesn't have to be very deep. Your planting hole just has to be one time the depth of the root ball. So in other words, we want the soil of the root ball to be in line, perfect level with the soil uh, in the ground. However, you don't have to even plant it that deep. There is a um, process we call planting proud in horticulture. And planting proud simply means that we are raising the top of our root ball slightly higher than the existing soil. And this is a great method for really any plant but particularly in areas where the soil may stay soggy, it may stay wet. Because plant, forcing a plant's root system below the ground too deeply 
into wet soil, that can be detrimental. Plants' roots can rot, so you can get fungus and disease problems, maybe bacterial problems even, with all that extra excess moisture. But if you plant really any plant higher than the existing soil line, two, three, four inches higher, and mound up around it, that will give the plant um, the ability to work its roots into the areas of soil where it can grow, where things may not be too wet. So if you force a plant's roots down too deep, roots grow with gravity. They very rarely are going to grow up. They're going to keep growing down with gravity. So starting a little higher, allowing those plant's roots to tease their way down into the soil, into the profile, particularly in those areas where it's not too wet, it's just right, just like Goldilocks. The soil is not too wet. The soil is not too dry. The soil is just right. Doing that is going to really allow uh, your plant to succeed. So there is one more step, but, but, but let me reiterate the first two steps. The first step is to dig a wide hole. Dig a hole that is two to three times as wide. Plants roots don't go down very deep in the soil. They actually go further horizontally in width than they do in depth. So that is a critical thing to keep in mind. The second thing, of course, is don't plant too deeply. Plant, dig a planting hole that is just as deep as the root ball, if not shallower. Now, the third point is extremely critical. And unfortunately, I don't have time in this segment. So you got to hang around through this quick break, and I will give you the third and maybe most critical point to digging a good planting hole. Hang on tight. Greenness unfolded. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to the second half of today's program here on New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and we are answering your questions today. If you're just joining us, uh, before the break, we were answering Elise. She has a question in Flowery Branch, Georgia, about digging the best planting hole possible. And that is a great question. I think that... We did almost probably the first year we started New Southern Garden here on WRWH 93.9 FM. I, I think we did an entire episode on just planting. So if you would like more details than I can give you um, during this Q&A episode this, this week, be sure to check out NewSouthernGarden.com for older episodes. Of course, we've got a plethora. I promise you, if you go there... You will find all kind of information from years past now, all kinds of topics, and all kinds of plants, tools, all kinds of things. So be sure to check that out. But, but before the break, we were answering the question about, well, Elise had heard that fall is a good time to plant, and it is a great time to plant. Actually, you can plant a containerized plant, make this clear, a containerized plant. 
is usually what you're purchasing. When you go to a garden center or nursery and you buy a plant in a pot in a container, that is considered a containerized plant. So you can plant those plants any time of the year as long as the ground is not frozen. Of course, if the ground is frozen, you can't dig it. That's the reason why. But we do see so many wonderful benefits from planting in the cooler season. The ground stays warm. The plant doesn't need a lot of extra attention or help. So now is a great time to get started with some of these bigger landscape jobs. I tell people at the nursery, of course, you can find me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia throughout the week, but I tell them that we really only have time to, to add new plants to our landscape or into our garden beds, our show beds, if you will. Uh, we only have time over winter. So we're usually doing it like as late as January and early part of February. And usually, I don't water that plant the day I plant it. And I don't have to water it again. I've really never watered many of these plants, and they do just fine, just because we picked the best timing possible. But before the break, we were giving the three steps for Elise to dig the best planting hole she's ever dug before. The first step, of course, is to make sure that your, your, your width of your hole, the hole's width, is two to three times the width of the root ball. So a 10-inch root ball demands a 20 to 30-inch with hole. Then, of course, you don't have to dig down very deep. Usually, it's just about for most, uh, well, for most plants. If you've got a really big pot, you may have to dig deeper. But for most plants, you can use about the depth of a shovel. It is better to plant proud, to plant a little higher, to leave the root ball a little higher and mound up around it rather than force it below the soil. The last thing we'd want to do is to cover stems the base, the trunk, whatever you want to call it. If you're planting a maple tree, make sure the trunk of the, stem, of the plant is completely exposed to the air. We do not need any soil mounded up around the base of that plant at all. Now, the third step. This is what we've all been waiting for. This might be the most critical, the most critical. All three steps are very important. Let me stress that. You've got to do them all. But this last one is something that we fail to do, that we forget to do. And it's just cultivation of the soil itself. So the backfill is the soil that you are putting back around the root ball. So say you've dug two to three times wide hole and one time is deep and you set your root ball in there. You set your plant's roots in there. Whatever you return back to the soil, we call backfill. So the backfill needs to be extremely soft. The softer, the better. If you can get it, get that soil powder fine, if you have a mantis tiller and you can till up and churn up that soil, cultivate it really well, whatever you're returning back around the plant's roots needs to be very soft, and I'll tell you why. The reason we want very soft soil, particularly here in the Piedmont, where you and I are gardening maybe, and I know some of you are listening uh, via the podcast, the New Southern Garden podcast, so you're, you may be listen, listening online from who knows where. I've met people from Tennessee and had messages from Arkansas uh, who are listening to the show, so we appreciate y'all. But regardless of your soil type, you want to make sure you are not throwing large clods of soil back around your plant's roots. Because remember, large clods of soil, when they stack up and pile up around the root ball, they create large 
air gaps, extremely large air gaps. The larger the particle that is being thrown into the soil, the backfill, uh, the larger the air gap. So we want to ideally crush the soil, pulverize the soil, beat it with a shovel, chop it with a shovel until we have nothing going back in that hole that is one inch in diameter or larger. We want everything that sits nicely and packed around the root ball to be an inch in diameter or less. And if you do that, then you will find that your plant's roots don't dry out. That's one of the biggest things, especially, I hate to say it, but probably with landscapers, the people you're paying good money to install a plant, is they don't cultivate the soil enough, and they throw large gap, large uh, clods of soil around those root ball, and of course, they're left with large air gaps. So wherever air is touching your root ball, it is surely going to dry out. Is this making sense? So we need to make sure that we have great contact with soil and root. The root needs to be in contact with the soil, particularly because it needs to stay moist. It does not need to dry out. So, in summary, Elise, fall and all the way through winter here in our area, because our ground never really freezes, is a great time to plant. Uh, It is better for those plants to be in the ground at any time of the year rather than in a pot just suffering in the hot plastic pot where it dries out daily. So it's really tough in the nursery to work with plants. We use a lot of water because they stay in pots all summer. But regardless, go ahead and get your plants in the ground now. Get them out of those plastic pots. And again, those three steps for digging the best planting hole ever. Number one, you want a uh, a planting hole that is two to three times the width of the root ball. Number two, You want a planting hole that is one time as tall as the root ball. So if it's a 10-inch root ball height, you want a 10-inch height on your planting hole. Or you can dig it a little shallower and allow the top few inches of the root ball to stand above the soil and then mound up around it. And then thirdly, of course, anything that you're planting, uh, sorry, anything you're putting back around the plant's roots, the backfill, Uh, The soil you put back around the plant's roots needs to be super soft. We don't want any clods larger than one inch in diameter. Now, there's something that I did not mention on purpose, and that is using soil amendments. Soil amendments. Now, this this could turn into a lengthy discussion, but I do want to have some quick notes on using soil amendments, compost, cow manure, and mixing that in with your backfill, what you put back around the planting hole. Uh, Modern horticultural research does not support the use of soil amendments when you're planting trees or shrubs. I know that maybe just blows your mind. You're thinking this this guy is ridiculous. He is, surely he does not want me to put my plant, my you know fifty dollar plant, in a hole with the existing soil. And yes, I do. I want you to do. It. If you follow these three steps, you don't need soil amendment for trees and shrubs. Now, on the other hand, if you're planting annuals or perennials, right? So annuals are those plants we plant in the spring and they live all summer and die when it frosts. Or pansies we're going to plant pretty soon. Hopefully you'll be checking those out. We've got a great selection of pansies and ornamental cabbages and snapdragons at Lanier Nursery and Gardens and Flowery Branch, where you can find me too throughout the week. But regardless, if you're not doing perennials and annuals, you're doing trees and shrubs, you don't need to go to the expense of adding that extra soil conditioner. And here's a quick summary of why. When you mix your backfill, when you mix your soil that you're digging for your plant, uh, 
When you mix that with organic matter, you are changing the texture of it. But you're not changing the texture of the soil outside of the hole. You've got existing clay soil, right? Or existing whatever type of soil you have. Well, that, that soil that is existing is very fine with its texture. It has a fine texture, and it holds on to water very well. The coarse-textured soil doesn't hold on to water well, and the fi- fine-textured soil that's surrounding your planting hole can actually wick away water from your planting hole, from that amended soil. And so eventually, you might have problems with the soil that's touching your plant's roots drying out, uh, water being sucked away. Clay, existing clay, is a bully when it comes to this situation. So for trees and shrubs, they are going to grow well beyond that tiny hole you planted. You know, in the scheme of things, if you're planting an oak tree or maple, the hole that it was planted in is very small compared to the size of its root system. Its root system will go on for feet, tens of feet, maybe even a hundred feet. It very well could. Uh, So with that in mind, don't go and spend a lot of money on organic matter to mix in with your soil if you're planting trees and shrubs. If you're planting perennials, if you're planting uh, annuals, make them a nice bed full of rich organic matter. They will appreciate that, but trees and shrubs can have a tough time with that. Otherwise, when you're done planting that tree or shrub, use the organic matter on top of the soil. Be sure to put a nice layer of mulch, and it could be compost. It could be uh, composted leaves. It could be uh, wood chips. It could be pine straw. It could be wheat straw. Whatever, (laughs) Whatever looks good to you, put that around the top of the soil. And over time, by keeping your beds well mulched, you will be building the soil, but at a much slower rate than incorporating it and causing a texture, soil texture problem. So like I said, that conversation we could have an entire episode on on why we don't use soil amendments around trees and shrubs. But for smaller plants like perennials, they have smaller root systems, annuals have even smaller root systems, they will fit nicely into your planting space with all that added goodness. Of course, you don't have to fertilize Uh, You could go ahead and water the day that you plant it just to help settle the soil around the root ball. Again, trying to make a good connection uh, with soil to root. Uh, But otherwise, don't fertilize the plant until next spring because extra fertilizer can actually cause some growth. And this close to our first frost could be detrimental. So with all that being said, Elise, we thank you for your question. I'm glad to hear that you are planning to put in some new plants in Flowery Branch, Georgia, because every area in our state needs new trees, new shrubs. We've got to keep things going and th- keep things green. Now, let's move to Pendergrass, which is not too far from Flowery Branch or from here in White County, of course. Uh, Pendergrass, Georgia. Frank. Frank says... And he sent us this question via Facebook, so you can be our friend, too, on Facebook and Instagram. Don't, don't forget to uh, like us and, and follow us there. He says, I have a ton of yellow and black spiders with red undersides all in my trees, around my deck, and anywhere they can build a web. Are you familiar with this spider? And if so, what is it? And can I do anything about them? Well, Frank... I am very familiar with this spider, and I'm pretty sure, even without a pitcher, even without a pitcher, um, I'm pretty sure the problem you have there. And I say a problem because they're more of a nuisance. They're more of a nuisance. Now, a few years ago, um, there was an introduction of an invasive spider from 
Asia. It's called the East Asian Joro Spider. And if you look that up, Frank, on your computer, you'll see pictures, East Asian Joro Spider. I'm pretty sure that's what you got because I've got them too. The nursery's got them in Flowery Branch. It's all over Northeast Georgia and spreading. So we got to go to a break, but when we get back, I'll tell you a little bit more about the East Asian Joro spider and maybe some things you can do uh, to try to get rid of them. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Today on New Southern Garden, we are in the mailbag, in the mailbox, in the inbox. You have sent us your questions, and we are answering them, and we're very glad to do so because we want you to be as successful as you possibly can in the landscape. There's no need to have to be running around the garden, making mistakes left and right, and in just completely hating what you're doing. We want you to love it, be involved with it, and uh, of course enjoy it for many years to come so uh, already we've we've answered a question uh, from elise who wanted to know how to plant essentially how to dig a planting hole that's a great question because not all holes are the same you got to make sure uh, that you are digging the best hole for your new plant as possible and uh, we started answering frank's question from pendergrass he was talking about these yellow spiders uh, with black legs and red undersides they're growing in his trees they're growing on his deck they're growing anywhere they can build web he says and i am very familiar with this with this spider uh, and as many of us here in north georgia are so a few years ago uh maybe 2015 2018 somewhere there uh, maybe a little earlier than that actually um we saw these strange spiders uh, around we've never seen them before and the university of georgia was tracking them well, year after year, uh, well, let me back up. The University of Georgia was tracking them, and they had a hotline you could call to let them know they're in your area, they're in your backyard, they're, they're growing in your trees. Well, a few years after that hotline was initiated, the program shut down, I guess, because they just became this overwhelming problem uh, that they realized they couldn't do much about it. But what we do know about these East Asian Joro spiders is most likely they were introduced through a cargo shipping container uh, sent to one or a few of the warehouses in Jackson County, particularly Pendergrass, Georgia area. That's where they've sort of centered, found the center of this problem starting. Now, these East Asian Joro spiders are essentially a nuisance. They are an invasive species. They're not supposed to be here. They're supposed to be in Asia. They're not supposed to be in North America. So the biggest question is, are they going to have a problem with our uh, growing in our ecology? Are, are they going to cause problems? 
problems for our good spiders? Are they going to cause problems uh, for plants or other things? Of course, spiders don't really eat your plants. They are looking for meat. They are carnivores. And so these spiders are very productive. They rapidly grow in numbers. They actually overwinter as eggs. Uh, they are very uh, resistant to cold. So the cold that we have is not cold enough uh, to do any damage to them over winter. So we've seen this problem growing year after year, more and more of them coming around. And they tend to um, build these these orb webs they call them orb webs so it's not a flat web but it's a multi-dimensional web that's another key characteristic to look for if you think you have this problem also you'll see a large spider in the web but you may see one to two maybe three smaller spiders somewhere on the outskirts of that web the large spider the one that's very colorful yellow and red uh, and, and black that spider is the female, the largest. She's got two, I guess, she's got boyfriends. Uh, she's got males in the web with her. So uh, you've got to be looking for that. That's pretty, uh, another key indicator that this is the East Asian Joro spider. Now, what the university is telling us, uh, what the research is showing is that they're not really causing a problem uh, for in the, our ecology right now. They're not necessarily problematic. However, they may be consuming food right? Other insects that could be food for our native spiders. So they are probably eliminating a lot of, of, um, of bugs by eating them, but they may also be stealing food from the, the, the baby, the spiders we need. Regardless, some new information that I found uh, this season on them is that there is the gray stink bug, kind of this, it's just a common gray stink bug now, but it it was essentially an invasive species from China or Japan, the Asia part of the world, that came in uh, in the 90s, uh, 80s to 90s. I think it was early 90s. Uh, came into like Pennsylvania somewhere, and it's just spread all over the East Coast. And so we've been dealing with these gray stink bugs. There's no predator for them. However, guess what? Now this East Asian Joro spider will eat these gray stink bugs. So we may have less of a stink bug problem on our hands, but I'll tell you, these East Asian Joro spiders, their webs turn very golden. By the time they mature, by the time these spiders are very adults, like right now, if you look just in the right lighting, uh, you will see that their webs are extremely thick, very strong. And their webs are this shiny gold. It's like a golden thread. So be sure to be on the lookout for these East Asian Juro spiders in your neck of the woods. Uh, there are some sprays you can spray to at least keep them off of the deck. But otherwise, I, I hate to say this, but I will collect them on a stick or use the back of my shovel and, and kind of make them fall to the ground. And I will just use my boot to eliminate them. <laughs> so uh, I, they are more of a pest. They're definitely an invasive species. They're not supposed to be here. So uh, getting rid of them or trying to decrease their population is probably not a bad thing, especially when they may be eating the food source that our native spiders, like our banana riding spider, may very well need. So thank you, Frank, for that. And you're in Pendergrass, so you've been having this probably for a long time. I'm surprised you're just now kind of noticing them. But they started out high in the trees, and you didn't really see them. They will be all up and down power lines, making their webs in between the lines. But now they are making them, uh, in my observation, lower to the ground almost anywhere. 
in, in, in low bushes off of decks and porches and things. So just be on the lookout for that. Well, I think we've got time for one more quick question. Bailey in North Georgia says, I'm looking for some ideas for deer-resistant winter plants. So tired of them eating my pansies. And she says, help, all caps, H-E-L-P, exclamation point. Well, Bailey, you just, just like everybody else, we've got deer problems. And we've talked about this on the show before. But I will give you some quick ideas. Pansies and violas, they just love. They do. They just love them. However, snapdragons, they are a great winter plant. They look good right now. They're blooming right now. Uh, Then in the dead of winter, they sort of slow down, much like a pansy. But late winter, when it warms up again, they will flush with more flowers than you've probably ever seen in the fall. So be sure to check out Snapdragons, and don't forget Dusty Miller. Dusty Miller is not really known for her blooms, but she's got that gray, ashy foliage, which can look so good with other things. And think of some perennial plants, like hellebores. Lenten rose, of course, they are a great evergreen perennial. They're going to be blooming in February, uh, give or take, say January to March. So they're later winter flowers, but they are perennial. They come back year after year. Lastly, I will mention uh, Japanese anemone. we got some great Japanese anemone at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, uh, and they are just starting to crack open and bloom now. Now, they're not going to bloom for a long time but they will bloom for uh, this fall season, as well as garden mums. I'm not talking about those round globes, uh, the mums we buy in pots and keep on the porch that bloom one time and they're done. No, these mums, they return year after year. They're tall. They stand up nicely in a perennial border, look great with grasses, and they are just starting to bloom as well. Now, Bailey, I do want to introduce you, if you're not familiar, to a product called Repel X. Repel X is the first and only systemic deer repellent. It goes into the plant um, from the root system and it makes the roots, the stems, the leaves, the flowers. It makes it all taste like hot peppers from the inside out. You only have to reapply it as the plant grows. Rain does not wash it away and it's good against moles and voles, things that may attack the root system as well. Well, thank you gang for letting me um, be a part of your Saturday morning here on WRWH 93.9 FM. I believe I'll see you next week, Uh, but if not, well, Go dogs. <laughs> Y'all have a great weekend. Stay well and grow well. See you next time. Give it a go. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show.